In Romans 15, uh, Paul has kind of closed off his portion of teaching in this book. He's gone through uh, 15 uh, chapters so far. The beginning part of chapter 15, he's still teaching the church uh, what Jesus has done. Uh, the wrath of God revealed against all men and all unrighteousness apart from His saving grace. Uh, righteousness can only come through faith in Jesus. And then he's talked about what in the last few weeks we've been looking at from Romans chapter 12 verse 1 through now we've been looking at basically what it means to present our bodies in light of all that God has done to present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable before the Lord which is Paul writes, our reasonable service. It's a reasonable thing if Jesus has saved us from our sins, all of the death and destruction that we have a pattern of in our lives until we are saved by His grace. If He's saved us, if He's provided a way of salvation, and while we were yet sinning against Him, and He's willing to graft us into this olive tree, this natural olive tree, because our faith really comes from... Uh, the Jews. It's G Jesus was a Jewish uh, Messiah, and yet somehow in His plan, He's got a, a plan of salvation for the whole world through this what we would consider a very small nation. And so He's blessed us through this small nation because they were blessed to be a blessing, and so we, in the same way, have been blessed to be a blessing. And so Paul this week, he's actually going to share a little bit. We're going to get a, a glimpse into his heart for ministry and why he did things the way that he did. We studied the book of Acts uh, last year, and as we've gotten into the book of Romans, now we're seeing where he's investing in one church through a letter he wrote. But I have to apologize to you because in many ways I've been teaching the book of Romans as if he's writing to a church he's never been to, which is true, but as if he's writing to them something they didn't already know because he hadn't been there. But the work of God is bigger than individual people. Because the Roman church was started when persecution happened in the church in Jerusalem and there was a scattering. It's called the Jewish diaspora, which is just basically like if you take one of those dandelions that everybody hates in their yard and you blow on that thing, those little paratroopers we used to call them, those little white seed pods with the little, looks like parachutes on them, they fly everywhere. Well, what, when the winds of persecution came into the early church after the beginning of the book of Acts, the church spread like wildfire, but not until persecution happened. So we, we see persecution happening in all these other nations. We're like, Lord, why aren't you acting? And the reality is, is he's allowing those things so that the gospel will spread. Now, we don't like persecution, but that's many times when pressure happens on the church of God, the reality is is that God is using the wiles of the enemy to bless the world. I love that. God makes even the wrath of man to praise him. And so as he's spreading the church through persecution, there are many Jewish people that ended up in Rome, which is one of the most influential places in the time of the Roman, uh, of the Roman Empire. And so as they have arrived there, they share Jesus because that's all they have. They've left all their practical stuff. They've left all their comfort. They come bearing nothing but the shirts on their backs and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they show up in Rome and they share it with people. And these people are hungry because their own government, their own lives are not giving them the hope that they so desire. And they know deep down that they need. And so they receive Jesus. 
And this church springs up seemingly out of nowhere, according to the plan of God. And so Paul is going to express to them things that they already know, but he's reminding them. One of the biggest reasons we can tell that the fall happened, I think one of the biggest evidences is that we can very easily remember the things we wish we could forget, and the things that we want to remember are so hard to remember. You know, that's why I unfortunately end up relying so heavily on my smartphone, because I can put reminders in there, and Moments go by and I sleep overnight and I forget all the things I wanted to do the next day and then the little thing goes, bzz, bzz. hey, don't forget, you know. And so God, through his men and women that serve him, will remind the church of the things that they already know about, but they need to remember again so that they can let God have his perfect work be done in them. And so in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, he starts... And he says this, he's talked about unity, he's talked about blessing one another, bearing with one another, and then he says this in verse 14, he says, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. He says, I'm confident in the work that God is already doing in your lives. He gives them the signs of a mature church, and he talks about them, and I read them, and I go, I wonder if he was a little nervous about saying this. I wonder if he was a little nervous about telling them that, hey, the work of God does not depend upon me being there with you or some leader, but God's already put in you everything you need to prosper as a child of God. See, the church, the kingdom of God, does not grow based on pastors, doesn't grow based on worship leaders or youth leaders or specific ministers within the church. It grows because all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God gives us unity with the Holy Spirit. And he gives us gifts to serve one another inside the church and to share the gospel and serve people outside of the church. And your gift may not be something you would consider a spiritual gift, but let me tell you, going to someone's house and trimming their bushes, that's a spiritual gift. Mowing someone's lawn and telling them, hey, Jesus did this for you. I didn't, because I frankly would rather go mow my own lawn. You know, you can be real honest and just say, hey, Christ has done a work in my heart. He's done things for me that I didn't deserve. And so I want to share that love with you. And so Paul here is telling them, you've been given everything you need in order to be a minister of the gospel. And then I want to point out a fact that in Romans chapter 1, he's really, respond, he's really saying something to them he's already told them. Because he's telling them why I'm writing to you, Romans. Because back in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 8, he's already told them. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that I, without ceasing, make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now, at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. And he's getting ready to tell them, I hope to come to you soon. He's got a desire to meet them. He wants to see the work of God happening in their lives, because Paul needed encouragement just like you and I do. That's why we gather. But then he says, for, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be 
established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Then he says in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor. Paul says he's a debtor. He owes them both to Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And he says why in verse 17 or 16. He says, for I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So turn back to Romans 15 and in verse 14 through 21, he's basically going to outline many of the same principles. He's repeating himself. Anytime you hear a teacher or someone repeat themselves, they're doing it. If your mom ever repeated something to you, it's because they wanted you to remember because they knew you'd forget. And we do, we forget so easily. So Paul writes in here, he says, number one, you've, you're full of goodness. In other words, uh, that word means the desire to live right with the right motives in mind. You're full of all goodness. You want to serve God for the right reasons, not so that you will be saved by your works, but because you recognize you've already been saved, you want to work for God. You want to serve Him. And then he says that you are full of all knowledge. Paul is confident. He says, you are full of all knowledge. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I'm full of all knowledge. But what Paul says here is he says, you're full of all knowledge. And that word is gnosis. It means to know, to be aware of, to understand and be able to speak about the things concerning our faith in Jesus Christ. If you remember uh, what Jesus told his disciples, he says, when they drag you, as my disciples in front of kings, in front of um, uh, councils, when they accuse you, don't be afraid of the words because I will give you the words you need to speak in that moment. And then he says, you are able as a mature church to admonish one another. And that word means to caution, to reprove, or to warn one another. So within the body of Christ, God has given his spirit so that you guys and myself will be able to watch out and be our brother's keeper. Not to meddle in each other's lives, but to pray for one another, to have a vision of what God wants to do in each one of our lives and to warn each other when maybe we're not paying as much attention and we can say, hey, how you doing? I'm noticing some things in your life and I'm not trying to meddle. I just hope everything's all right. And here's the reality. Sometimes God will call you to call someone out and they won't like it. But that doesn't mean that God can't use it. We need to approach one another meekly and in humility, knowing that we could stumble our brother. But at the same time, if they're really in a way that's going to cause destruction down the road and we don't tell them, we failed them. And so in the same way, Paul's telling them, you should be able to admonish one another. And he tells the Roman church, you are able to. There are people within your group that have the spirit of the Lord. They understand the basic tenets of the faith and they are able to counsel. That's a gift that God has given them. They're full of the Holy Spirit. 
They understand the scriptures and they're able to counsel. The counseling within the church many times ends up being kind of laid on the shoulders of the pastor alone. And though he can do that, and I am able to do that because the Lord has given me that gift. But the reality is many times nobody wants to talk to me about that stuff because they're afraid if I say something hard to them, they may not come back. And so however that works out, in a church this small, many times I'm the only one they'll come to and that's okay. I want to be there. I want to be Jesus with some skin. I've had many people over the last six years doing youth ministry and do, and coming here where people have come up to me and they're like, you can tell they're nervous but they're convicted about something and they just come up and they share something. They're, they got to get it off their chest. And the cool thing is, is because I've been forgiven much, I'm able to go, hey, Jesus, can you forgive you of that? Just repent. Go and sin no more. You know, and, and to counsel them through that, to take steps that show that they've repented, not just to, but to flee sin and temptation and all of those things. But Paul's saying, I'm confident because God has bestowed in the church these gifts and he wants you to use them. So in, in verse 15, and we'll read through verse um, 21, he repeats what he's already said in Romans 1. He says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm confident that you have these things. You've got um, all knowledge given to you by God. You're full of goodness and you're able to warn or caution one another. Nevertheless, there are some things that you still need. And I'm going to remind you of them. So then he says, that I'm, he says I have written more boldly to you on some points. And he's really just referring to what he's already written in the first 14 15 and a half chapters. And then he comes to this point. He says, here's why I'm reminding you of these things boldly, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Remember, Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So if our lives are to be a offering to the Lord, God is not interested in just our salvation, but also our sanctification. And many times, I don't know about you guys, but I've been to many churches, people that love Jesus and are teaching the word of God, but they every week it's just the gospel. And I don't mean the gospel that sanctifies us, I mean it's just the way of salvation. You've ever heard the phrase, preaching to the choir? Well, the choir is already saved. Now, there are places where it's not. But what I'm saying is that Jesus came to not just save us, but to cleanse us. And though we are saved positionally as his followers, there is still a work of sanctification that he wants to do until the day of Christ Jesus. He wants to practically work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He wants to remove all the junk that, even though we're saved, is still there. He wants to clean house. And the house cleaning has to happen by his spirit. And so Paul stirs them up. He tells them, God wants to cleanse you practically and he's going to do it by the same gospel. 
And so in verse 15, he says, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. And I was always thinking about that reminder. I thought about 2 Peter because in 2 Peter, he says the same thing to the people he's writing to. He's writing to a persecuted church right after the the day of Pentecost and the, the scattering from persecution in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He says to them, he writes, he says, For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, kindness, not kindless, kindness, love. For if these things are yours and they abound or overflow, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old, sin, old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus saves you, you are saved. But there's something that we can add to it. And I don't mean by earning it. I mean by continuing in it. How do I know I'm walking towards uh, an eternity with the Lord? That I keep putting one foot in front of the other. That I keep saying, Lord, I need more of you. Lord, where do I need to go today? Because salvation isn't a destination until we see him face to face. So we need to practically let him continue his work. And as he continues his work, each one of us in this group will be encouraged to see God continuing to show his grace in your life. But then the world will see that continual growth as well. How do you know that a plant is alive? It continues to grow. If it stops growing, what does it mean? That plant's not healthy. It's not getting nutrients. It's not being watered. And a plant that doesn't grow won't produce what? Fruit. If you've got a plant in your garden that's not producing fruit, I don't know about you guys, but I start ripping it out because I don't want the nutrients that's going into it to not grow any fruit to not go to the other plants that are producing fruit. And so the Lord, in the same way, He wants our growth to be evident to those around us. Paul wrote that to Timothy. He said, continue in these things continuing the things that I've taught you amongst many believers because as you continue in them, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, he doesn't mean that you will be their savior. He means that in them seeing God's continuing work, they won't see a dead savior. They'll see a living hope, a living savior that's continuing to pour out his spirit upon you and make you more like Jesus. And so Paul and Peter, in the same way, they're reminding them Uh, Where was I supposed to end in that one? In verse 12, he says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Same thing that Paul's saying. You already know these things, but I will never cease to remind you because I love you. So in verse 13, he says, Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent, he always referred to his body as a tent, as long as I'm on this earth, to stir you up by way of reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. 
Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And I love this because Peter might not have known this, but we're sitting here reading what he wrote to them. How do we know we have a reminder after he's dead? Well, the words that Peter spoke are still speaking because the Holy Spirit inspired men and women to just keep this thing and to translate it and to put it into a binding that we can carry around. And as we read it and we expect the Lord to meet us in it, what happens is day by day, we may not be able to eat the whole thing because the reality is this is a big loaf of bread. But as we eat a little bit here and a little bit there, we will grow thereby. And so Peter reminding them, stirring them up. Sometimes the Lord just has to stir us up because we get comfortable, we get complacent. And the Lord's like, you're not done yet, keep going. And he'll kind of nudge us along. And so some of the ways that we can continue in this faith and be sanctified are by daily Bible reading. I'm not saying you gotta read three chapters. You don't have to read through it in a year. That's just something that God's impressed upon me. I need it every year. I need that constant reminder. But number two, prayer. Prayer is twofold. In your alone time with God, if you need, to, you need to spend personal time with Jesus because if you don't, you're neglecting the most important thing in your life. You also need to spend time praying with other believers. I don't know how that works out for you. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your whole family as a group. Maybe it's with people you work with. Maybe it's with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Whatever it might be, Pray with other believers because as you pray with other believers, the beautiful thing is the things they may never tell you, they're telling the Lord and as they're in his presence and they're honest with him, you'll get to know more about them than you ever will sitting at a meal just talking. Even though you will get to know them. Meals are great together. But praying together, there's no deeper fellowship that Christians can have with one another than when they're praying. Because in God's presence, where there's something about just us letting down our guard and just being his child. And as we do that together, we can experience the fellowship that one day will be all the time. It'll be in his presence. It's a foretaste. And number three, fellowship. Spending time with other people who desire to follow Jesus in their daily lives, wherever you are. Seek it. Desire it. Eat it up as long as you can get it. And gathering weekly as a church to be instructed in God's word. As a family of believers, it's just basically getting together at the table and feasting on the word. It's a smorgasbord. It's not meant to get you through the whole week. It's meant to just be a family meal. We don't get to have one every day. So, verse 16. He says that I might be... Sorry, that's back in Romans 15. That I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in things which pertain to God. Paul's word there that he says, I have reason to glory, that word is boast. How many of you guys know people that boast? Everyone knows somebody that boasts. But what was Paul's boast? What did he brag about? He bragged about Jesus. Do you brag about Jesus? Do you brag about him all the time? Because here's the reality. I brag about Lucy. I brag about what I did at work. I, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I like to brag. 
But I will confess that I am not always bragging about Jesus. Paul right here, he says, my boast, my brag, the thing that I have to, to, to just shout to the world is that Jesus can even use me. I'm called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He says, therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare, verse 18, to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed to make Gentiles obedient. Paul's sitting here going, he, said, he says, you know, he, he refers to them and either somewhere between Romans 9 and 11, he says, the Gentiles are a wild olive branch. That they would be obedient to the gospel at all is a wonder. It should be a wonder. We are wild by nature. We got nothing constraining us. We just let it rip for everything. We serve other gods. We run after things that we shouldn't run after. And when the Lord gets a hold of our heart, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is that we, we stop. And we say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And Paul's just sitting there going, the Gentiles are even walking by faith with our God. It should be an amazing thing. He says, that's my boast, that the, the Gentiles have become obedient. It's just a picture of the Holy Spirit having his way. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem around about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now Paul, his boast is not that he did this. But I want you to think about this. I don't know if you've got a map in your mind, but the eastward the most east place that he had went, he started in Jerusalem and he went west. You know, I don't know how many nations that I've heard people say, well, you know, Christianity, that's, that's a western religion. No, Christianity started in the east. It started in Israel. And it went out from there and it went west. The fact that we have been impacted by the gospel is because <clears throat> Paul went west. And each one of us has been impacted by this man whom we've never met who has impacted so many nations, we won't know until heaven how much of an impact he made. But he's boasting because he's saying, I went all the way from there to Albania. I'm trying to think of the other place. This Illyricum is in, in, a, in a place that, um, I wrote it down in here somewhere. There it is. Albania and Yugoslavia. So he's gone, that's the westernmost place that he's saying, I've been from Jerusalem to Yugoslavia. Now, I don't know if you guys have Bibles with the map in the back, but that's quite a bit of distance for one man to be able to say, that's how God used me. That's how much ground I covered. You know, he says, so his question, my question is, how did God do this through Paul? And he says, the Holy Spirit did it. And he says, by mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. This was the sign that he was an apostle of God. And he spread the message from Jerusalem to Albania and Yugoslavia. So the swath that Paul had made was huge. This is quite a large area of influence. Um, culturally, he had to cross some boundaries, right? He wasn't just hanging out in Missouri and Illinois. He couldn't relate to the people. He was going to places where he couldn't even speak the language. And yet God gave him the ability to make an impact. Uh, Travel-wise, it's not like he could just take a flight or drive. He traveled quite a bit. It was quite a bit of expense. Um, the churches provided for him wherever he went. And he was not only just doing that stuff, but he was effective. I mean, I traveled in the world, but I don't know that there's too many places that I felt like I made an impact. But if I did make an impact, let me tell you, it wasn't because of me. I was outside of my culture. I couldn't afford to go. 
I don't know that I was effective, but if there was effectiveness, it was because the Lord used me. And that's what Paul's point is here. He says, I was impacted by the Lord, and he gave me the ability to make an impact. He says, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished. In other words, I'm going to speak to you about all the things God has done. He says, and so, verse 20, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named or spoken about, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard, they shall understand. Paul saw his ministry, his calling to go to the Gentiles, but not just any Gentiles, the ones that had never, ever heard of Jesus. He went to people that had not been reached. And folks, I really believe that God has planted our church here to to impact those who have never been reached. I I heard the other day, well, a couple of weeks ago, when we went to the pastor's conference, one of the pastors said, we are not in the business of making disciples or pulling people out of other churches. We are in the business, not business, but our our ministry, our, our mission is to reach the unreached. It's to go out to the people who have never heard. Maybe the people that have heard about Jesus, but the people have never heard really who he is. And and what I love and I'm embracing is that God is reaching those who have never been reached. He's going out through our hands and he's impacting people that live in the, the crevices and the craigs of society who have, they have so many needs that we can't meet them. And he's saying, hey, I just want you to do what I've given you to do. Whether it's backpack impact or whether it's, uh, you know, the ministerial alliance and, and giving people backpacks full of stuff that they need and can't afford. You know, we have the ability, even as a small church, to reach beyond our boundaries. There are people that are showing up in Park Hills and going to the Parkland Pregnancy Resource Center. Many of them going there because they can't afford to have a baby. They, they've gotten into trouble. They've made some wrong decisions. They don't know the Lord. They can't help but make wrong decisions. And what the Lord wants to do is He wants to show mercy and say, hey, This child I've given you, there's a purpose for it. And that purpose goes beyond just the purpose for their life. I want to impact you through this child. This mistake I'm going to use to the praise of my glory. I'm going to plant some places. There's one starting up in Potosi. These women, they show up. These men, they show up. They go, we're going to have a kid. We can't afford it. We just can't do it. We we got to fix this. We're going to get rid of the problem. And what the Lord says is, I'm going to have these places where you're going to come You're going to look for your answer and the answer is not going to be to get rid of this child. The answer is going to be that God's going to provide for you. And he's got these places. They give out diapers. They give counseling. They point people to Jesus and say, you are insufficient. It's good that you know this. Now I'm going to show you who is sufficient to help you through this need. They give them an ultrasound. They show that this is a baby. It's not just a glob of material. And then they start helping them out. The more classes you come to, the more we'll bless you with clothes, with formula, with diapers. Those are expensive, right? And what God does is he shows, hey, I'm going to be here for you while you don't know me so that hopefully the kindness of the Lord will lead you to repentance. But first, I'm going to meet your practical need. And hopefully their prayer will become like Ruth. "I I want your God to be my God. Where you go, I'll go, Lord. And so we have this opportunity. And Paul was going to people 
that had never heard the name of Jesus, had never experienced his love. And he, he has, you can tell he's got a personal devotional life that has led him to know that this is his calling because he quotes there in verse uh, 21, he quotes from Isaiah. He's reading the prophets and going, this is for me. This is something that God's called me to do. This is the heart of God for his ministry for me. He says, Isaiah wrote, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Lord, I'm supposed to be doing that. I'm supposed to go to those who have never heard. So then he goes on and he explains to them, not just his heart for ministry, but also what his desires are. Verse 22, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you because of all that God's wanted to do through him. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. I want some fellowship. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For, and this is important, if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. The gospel spread from Jerusalem, the church there in Achaia, the church in Macedonia. They knew that they were partakers of the gospel because people had left there and imparted to them spiritual understanding and gifts in the gospel. And so they, in response to just being loved on and having the gospel shed in their area, they said, hey, we want to be a blessing to them. Now, if you'll remember when Paul was sent out, one of the things that the council there that sent him out laid hands on him, they said, remember the poor and needy. Well, they didn't know that they were basically saying, hey, remember us. Because the Jerusalem church, because of persecution and other issues, they came into a financial trouble time. And so God, knowing this, laid it on the hearts of the Gentiles. They said, hey, we've been partakers of the spiritual things they've sent out. We want to be a blessing to them. We don't have anything more to give them spiritually, but what we do have is we have finances. So let's get together an offering. Let's send it by the hands of Paul and be a blessing to them. So Paul takes all this money together. He gathers it. He takes them back. And I love this because I heard one guy say, as I was listening to him teach this passage this week, he said, if the only thing that you can do to bless people, to thank them for something they've done to you, is by giving them a material blessing, then do it. It's okay. Be generous. Because our God is generous. And you may think, well, this isn't very spiritual. It's a very spiritual thing. Because if you can sacrifice what you practically and materially are able to do in the name of Jesus in someone's life, it may open their eyes to a spiritual reality. And so sometimes we undermine those things and we go, well, that's not very spiritual. But the reality is, is it's a very spiritual thing. The way we spend our money, the way we are generous or not generous, it proves where our heart really comes from. And so the Lord being a generous God, uh, do it. If he calls you to do that, then do it. And I love this because Paul tells them, you guys have been generous. Uh, The churches around have been generous. And so I'm going to take it back. But on my way from there, I'm going to go to Spain. I really want to go to Spain, but I want to stop and be with you guys. And by the way, I'm going to need a little help along the way. 
God's provided my way, and I'm just going to make mention that I'm praying that he'll provide through you guys. Verse 29, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Verse 30, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and I may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So he's saying, okay, but here's something you can do for me while I'm traveling. See, I'm getting ready to go back to the hot seat. I have this offering, the Lord's provided it, but I'm going to go back to Judea. This is the southern area of Jerusalem or uh, Israel. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to give this to the church there. But here's the deal. There are many there. They sat on the councils over Jesus and they put him to death. They don't like Christians. They're not big fans. And so persecution's going on there, but I'm still going to go. But here's what I need you to do for me. I don't want you to show up with swords and knives and slings. I want you to do battle with me on your knees. I want you to strive for me in prayer that God will take me there. I can be a blessing and that I will be delivered from there and be able to come to you. Now, what Paul doesn't know, or maybe he, he does know, many people towards the end of the book of Acts, they prophesied and they said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. There's going to be chains awaiting you there. And what you find out if you read the book of Acts is that there were chains. He was put in chains and the only way he ever showed up in Rome was they were putting him on trial and they were accusing him of blasphemy and all these things. He ends up going before Caesar because of this trip he's asking them to pray about. But the beautiful thing about it is, is when he says, I want you to strive for me in prayer, is that the Lord heard those prayers of those saints because when he got to Jerusalem and this big mob overwhelmed Paul, at just the right time, the Roman garrison that was overlooking the Temple Mount they saw all the things that was going on and they just so happened to look over there at the time Paul was in his greatest need and they sent a bunch of soldiers down there and they delivered him out of his trouble. Tell me that wasn't the Lord. The Lord was working and he was hearing the prayers of the saints and as those prayers were being answered, God was using people that didn't even know him to deliver Paul so that he could continue on in the thing that God had called him to. He says, pray for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I could be a good witness to them there and that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and be refreshed together with you. Now, Paul spent much time in Rome in prison and he was given free reign to be refreshed by them. He had Bible studies I can't imagine being a guard tied to him. He was still effective after this trip to Jerusalem. But just a few points I want to make as we close. What I want us to notice about what we've studied today is that Paul knew what God called him to do. He was confident of the work that God did in Rome, but he was also confident of what God called him to do. And we know this because nothing caused him. None of the trials None of the imprisonment, none of the persecution, none of the being almost stoned to death, or many believe he was stoned to death and God raised him. None of that veered him away from the calling God placed on his life. 
Paul knew exactly what God called him to do, and he was not going to stop until he breathed his last. Let me ask you, let me challenge you, what purpose has God called you to? What is the thing that God wants you to do? Paul was called to be a minister to the Gentiles. That seems like a very wide spectrum. But if you look at his ministry, that didn't stop him. He wasn't overwhelmed by the wide spectrum. He reached a wide spectrum. Paul took time as a result of knowing exactly what he was called to, to strategize, to pray about, and to prepare for, to do everything that he knew that he could do on his behalf to be obedient and be prepared for that calling. What has God called you to do? And how are you taking steps to prepare and be ready for that calling? How are you getting ready to do what he's purposed for you to do? What plans are you making? What steps are you taking to actually live out what God has given you to do? Because though our calling and election is sure, God says, I want you to do everything. Be diligent to make your calling and election sure. God's called you to reach the Gentiles. What are you doing to do that? Paul was taking one step after another. He was praying. He was learning more about the Lord personally. And everywhere he went, he was looking for who God was desiring to reach through him. Paul knew who was doing these magnificent things in his life. Once he knew his calling, once God had prepared him, he knew that the results were up to the Lord. And he knew who to boast about when the results happened. I don't know about you guys, but I look at the things that Paul was used to do, and I'm going, I don't know if I could handle that. Not only the trip, but also the aftermath. Because it seems almost like the battle comes after we do a great thing for the Lord. It's easy to go, man, look at me. But Paul is very careful here to go, hey, let's, let's send the, the boast, let's glory in the Lord because apart from him doing it, I, I did it through weakness. I was stressed out. I was anxious. I wasn't the perfect example. The fact that anything good came out of those missionary journeys was due to the fact that God was just good to me. Paul knew what God gave him to do. He took steps to prepare he trusted that God was going to fulfill his plans and that God would stay close to him. And Paul gave glory to God for the results, no matter how bad or good the results seemed to him in the short term. So maybe we can take a few cues from him. Maybe we can imitate him, just as he really was just imitating who? He was imitating Jesus. He knew no matter what thing happened, even when Jesus was put to death, God was using it for his glory. So Paul looks at it like this. If I die, I die to the glory of God. If I live, I live to the glory of God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come what may, God's going to get glory in my life because I'm His, simply. So, let's pray. Father God, You um, are magnificent. You are wonderful. You are always faithful. Lord, help us to see Paul's life as what he's teaching us to do to live our lives as a living sacrifice. Not just any life, but a holy and acceptable one. He looked to you for deliverance. He looked to you for guidance. He looked to you for providence. Lord, he looked to you in all things and he desired that the church would realize that you've already imparted to us what we need to do what you've called us to do. But we are also to do everything that we can to stir up those gifts by preparing knowing our calling, asking you to prepare us, 
taking the steps that we need to take to be prepared, to be unhindered from following you. And then, Lord, when you bring the results, all we have to do is praise you and give you thanks because you're the one bringing the results in us. And so, Father, thank you that whatever you call us to do, whatever you commission us to do, you've given us your spirit. You said, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Lord, be with us. Help us to take those times of preparation in the quiet and the stillness by ourselves with you. And then, Lord, as we're going, help us to shoot up those prayers and say, Lord, I don't know what to do right now, but I got to make a decision. Help us to rely upon you in the moment by moment as well. Lord, you are faithful, you are good, you are righteous, and you love us. That's evident to me this morning. So, Lord, thank you, and we praise you, and we just give all the glory to you. Father, make our lives what they're supposed to be. Reflect your love and your character and your image to this world. And Lord, we just give you praise for all that you're going to do ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen.